I'm Christopher Kimball. You're listening to America's Test Kitchen. Hello, I'm Vincent Price. Today I'm going to take you on a slight tour of the Mediterranean. These are the places that the people of Europe and North America go for their holidays. Oh, not to see the country, but to stay in standardized hotels overlooking standardized beaches with standardized people on them. But you ask them what they ate there and they'll reel off a list that sounds pretty much what they eat at home. I can tell you it's all very depressing. That was Vincent Price from his cooking show, Cooking Pricewise. Vincent and Mary love to travel and love to cook, and oddly enough, their 1965 cookbook, A Treasury of Great Recipes, has become a collector's item. In its pages, one finds recipes from La Tour d'Argent, Taiwan, the Four Seasons, and even breakfast offerings from the Santa Fe Railroad. Their daughter, Victoria, has celebrated the 50th anniversary edition of this book by traveling back to many of the places her parents visited a half century before. I started by asking her to describe the book. The premise of the book was that they were collectors of experience. And so they went all over the world traveling for my dad's work, but they also collected recipes from uh, restaurants all over the world. And they came back and they figured out how to make a lot of those recipes. In those days, the ingredients that you could get in Europe were very different than what you could get here. So they figured out how to make them. They recreated the experiences, not just the food, but my mother would come back with design elements, whole sets of plates or, or linens, and they would create the experience for their friends in wonderful dinner parties. And that was the impetus behind the book. So this is 1965, and, and there are a lot of things I love about the book, especially the menus, because like the Tour d'Argent or the Four Seasons at the time, I, and I, I like the fact there was the Santa Fe Super Chief breakfast menu, <laughs> Which is... And that was actually one of our favorite things to do. Yeah. We would, my brother, who's 22 years older than I am, lived in New Mexico. And we would take the super chief to visit him. And it was the most amazing thing because the train would pull into Flagstaff about 6 a.m. So you woke up and then you spent the next two hours in the beautiful dining car, the white starched linen tablecloths and napkins and the sterling silver dinnerware and then the beautiful plates looking out at the painted desert going by while eating breakfast. And breakfast was this French toast that was A, good, but B, made better by the ambiance. And that really was my mother's philosophy of the book, that um, ambiance is as important as the food. So she said, gourmet is where you find it, and ambiance makes the occasion. Charming. I mean, where did all the charming people go? Uh, I think they, right? They're, they're I no longer with us. Um, no, the, they don't make them like my parents no. anymore. Uh, the French toast, I looked at that recipe. It uses cream, not milk, of course. Of course. But it fries the French toast is cooked in a quarter cup oil, which is really Actually, that's something I would like to try. I bet you get a much crisper outer crust. Um, the, the other recipe in that section, the Santa Fe Super Chief Breakfast, the Harvey Girl Special Little Thin Orange Pancakes uses orange juice, uh, actually freshly squeezed orange juice, grated rind, and a quarter cup of segments with pancake mix. And uh, that sounds pretty interesting, too. I mean, if you actually look at these these recipes, a lot of them are just really fascinating. So 
1965, though, and this is the, the ambiance in the photographs reflect a time and a period, which is obviously past. Do you want to just describe for you what that means, 1965, and, and sort of the feeling of that time? Sure. Well, the cookbook became a fixture in our household and really in the world. I mean, 300,000 copies were sold when it first really? came out. Uh, yeah. And it became the eighth most popular out-of-print book of any kind. I mean, Madonna's Sex is number one, and Stephen King is on this list. This book was number eight. So for me, what was incredible about that era was it was a time of discovery, and it was a time of breaking down class distinctions. And that was very important to my dad. He was really a populist. So his idea was that the finer things in life, let's say art, food, were not meant for the elite. He was all about giving people access to what they didn't have otherwise. Tour d'Argent, which I've actually never been to, but it was interesting to look at the menu because you see what was so common in French restaurants at the time. They would take an ingredient, uh, filet de sole or canneton or poulard, and they would have four or five different versions of it, which were simply either different sauces or different additions. So you could see how they constructed a menu to create, you know, 100 things out of maybe 10 things, right? It was it was very right. distinctive way of putting a menu together, which is quite different today. But I thought that was reminded me of those days when different sauces created different dishes. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the things that really was a transitional moment in American cooking when French sauces became par for the course, you know, in in home-cooked American cuisine. One of the things that happened in the 50s and 60s was this idea that food wasn't just a protein and uh, a starch and a green slapped on a plate. And certainly that's how we ate. My parents, my friends parents were not like my parents, and my friends all loved coming over to my house to eat. Of course, I just wanted to go to their house to eat or eat at Bob's Big Boy because we ate things like (laughs) ratatouille and shrimp curry and all of these things, and, you know, I wanted to eat like a normal kid. I wanted a milkshake. Uh, I grew up in a similar situation where I just wanted to live like a normal kid, but we certainly weren't normal. So he, he actually had, for six weeks on Thames Television, the cooking price-wise with Vincent Price. Have you ever seen a clip of that TV show? It is hilarious. It's like a cross between Julia Child at her funniest and a Lucy episode. Mix it up, stir it up very well, and then the topper is you pour over this, over the bottom of the spoon, very gently, some very rich cream so that it will float on top. Nine out of ten times it doesn't work, but this time... It all, yes, it did. Isn't that marvelous? Then you lick the spoon, which is the best part of the whole dish. And then you proceed to drink the brandy. Oh, here's to you. (laughs) The set was just pared down to almost nothing. And there was no one to help him. So at one point, he's taking a turkey out of the oven, and there's literally no place for him to put it. And so he has to put it on the floor, which is hilarious. Another thing that that brought back my childhood was the Johnny Carson episode with the poached fish in the dishwasher. Yes. I actually remember this. Could you just describe that for people who were not around at the time? Absolutely. So 
obviously one of Johnny Carson's writers had had come up with this idea. It had been written up somewhere that you can poach a fish in a dishwasher. So they thought, first of all, my dad, he's game for anything. And obviously the keys are don't put any other dishes and don't put any detergent in there. And he said it was delicious. And it's funny, it's one of the things that is most remembered about my dad. Oh my God, he cooked a fish in a dishwasher. After this long career and fame and fortune, right, exactly. he's remembered for poaching a salmon exactly. dishwasher John Carson. Let's just turn to him very briefly, but how did he get into the movies in the way he was portrayed? How did he get associated with that genre? The horror genre? Well, yeah. he made 105 movies, and less than 35 of them were horror films. So that yeah. came later in his life. It came at a very fortuitous time. It came right after he had been gray-listed during the McCarthy era. And, of course, in the McCarthy era, many people were blacklisted. There were many, many more people who were gray-listed, which meant studios were encouraged not to hire them. The list that my dad found himself on was pre-war anti-Nazi sympathizers. So in the minds of McCarthy and his henchmen, that made him a card-carrying communist. So when he got his name cleared after being gray-listed, he finally was offered two roles, and one was in a play and the other was for a movie, and that movie was House of Wax. And House oh, of yeah. Wax changed his life. So here's my dad getting these gothic horror parts, which really are character parts, and he recognized that he'd been given a gift, and he jumped in with both feet. So let's get back to food. As a child, you said your father was the great pancake maker. Was food something you guys shared? Was it important to you? I was and am still a very finicky eater. And even to the end of his life, he would just look at me thinking, oh, how did I end up with you as my child? <laughs> but we were very, very, very close. I adored him. And our time together in the kitchen when I was a kid was cooking Saturday morning breakfast when he was there. So pancakes and popovers and eggs, and to this day, breakfast is my favorite meal. And it was something we really, really enjoyed. At the end of his life, when he was very, very ill, and it sort of broke his heart because he didn't retain his taste buds, and the only thing that he really enjoyed eating was risotto. And he mm. had gone to Venice and learned how to make risotto from Marcella Hazan, and they had become mm -hmm. great friends. And so he taught me painstakingly how to make a great risotto, and that's what I would make for him. And so mm. after he died, I went to Venice and gave Marcella his cookbook because it just felt like... That was the little final chapter for me. But yes, food was something. He, he loved eating. And, and more than cooking together, although we certainly cooked a lot together, the real joy for us was sharing adventures. And they were always not pretentious adventures. I, I think one of my favorite days I ever spent with him was he decided one day he wanted us to find the best taquito in Los Angeles. So we got in the car, and in those sort of pre-food truck days, the great taquitos were at the little huts by car washes. And so we went from car wash to car wash eating taquitos. And it wasn't just shoving them down your mouth and going to the next one. It was talking about them. So why was that so good? And then this one had a special sauce, and this had something else that you had to try. And it was just an amazing gift that he had to make all of life seem like an adventure. One thing I noticed, I watched him with uh, Wolfgang Puck uh, doing a cooking segment. And it's kind of interesting. You know someone from public 
uh, sphere, acting, whatever, as one thing. And Vincent Price was always a very dominant character in his movies. And then he's on a show where Wolfgang is the expert, right? And the roles are kind of reversed. I think really the the core of it is that my dad was humble his whole life and a perpetual right. student. And so in order to get recipes right, he would cook them over and over and, to my mind as a child, over again. Like ratatouille, it seemed to me, we ate every night for five years. It's funny, in doing my homework for this, ratatouille comes out quite a lot. Yes. <laughs> in your memories. Yes, I felt time. like my entire childhood I was, you know, <laughs> slogging around in a vat of ratatouille. But no, it, it's really that he was a lifelong student. So when you did the preface for this book, I believe you traveled around to go back to many of these places. How many of them were still around and how many did you you go back and visit? It's interesting because most of them are still around in Europe. Very few are still around in the United States. And, And what's interesting beyond that is that only in places that have a sense of their own history are they still there. In other words, in New Orleans, they're still there. Sardis is still in New York, but the majority of them are gone, and and that's really heartbreaking in a way. What I did do was try to have a similar experience. So I was in New Orleans for Mardi Gras, and I was staying at a and b and I was with some people who were from Philadelphia, and I told them what I was doing, and they shared the name of a restaurant in Philadelphia, and they said I should go. I went, and it was one of my favorite restaurants I've eaten at in years. I had the experience of doing what my parents did, which was discovering. So they didn't travel just to sort of tick off things on a bucket list. They really explored the cultures through the cookbook and through all of the things my father did as a as sort of, I think, the original American foodie. He celebrated it, and I think that's a wonderful Wonderful way to live. I was just just thinking, I hope my kids are, (laughs) after I'm gone, are as nice in my my memory as you are to your father. You you obviously had a wonderful relationship with him, and he was a terrific guy. He was, you know, and was he perfect? Absolutely not. Was he the most interesting person I've ever met in my life? Yes. His passion for life and his generosity of spirit and his desire to shine a light so brightly that it gives other people permission to do the same, if that comes through me at even you know, one-eighth of the wattage that it came through my dad, then I will consider myself fortunate. Ah, that's our meal for today. That is it. Next time that you have a holiday in one of these countries, I really beg of you, don't be afraid of foreign food. Don't be afraid to sample the wonderful things that people have learned to make over the years, because that's the secret of food, tradition. Now... Until we eat again, this is Vincent Price saying goodbye to you. And, uh, oh, I forgot. You meant to eat it with your fingers. Well, let's see how that works. There it is. It's delicious. You know, Danny Kaye was also an actor who turned gourmet. His culinary efforts earned him the Les Meilleurs Ouvres de France, the only non-professional chef ever to receive that award. But his culinary efforts were not always successful. He burned his leg in a culinary accident that left him temporarily wheelchair-bound. In a restaurant in China, he acted out the role of a chicken to order one and got two eggs instead. 
Danny Kaye and Vincent Price crossed paths on The Danny Kaye Show in 1965 in a skit called Bikini Beach Frankenstein. Vincent, as Dr. Frankenstein, sings a duet with Igor that starts, quote, I'm going to build a monster, build him from the toes on up. That just goes to show that there is a long tradition of food people dressing up and doing silly things on television.